Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Fred Trotter. He's a healthcare data journalist and author and founder of CareSet Systems and the DocGraph Journal, and co-author of the first health IT O'Reilly's book, Hacking Healthcare. Fred won the 2016 Healthcare Data Liberator Award for his work opening significant healthcare data sets. Fred's technical commentary and data journalism work have been featured in several online and print journals, including Wired, Forbes, U.S. News, NPR, Government Health IT, and Modern Healthcare. As a technology entrepreneur, he is an alumnus of multiple successful technical startups, including Rackspace, Exalt, and Clear Health. True privilege to uh, record this podcast with him today and looking forward to his insights. Fred, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to chat. Absolutely, Fred. Now, tell me, what is it that got you into healthcare to begin with? You know, I think my story is pretty typical. I had a family member who got sick and I had a had a, an active career in cybersecurity before coming over to healthcare and I just I felt the, the career was going great and it was, uh, it was good work, but I just didn't feel like it was very meaningful and I decided I wanted to do something else. And uh, in my case, at least, there was a family business to come back to that was already working in healthcare technology. And so I came back and uh, started learning the ropes of how medical billing worked and, and the rest, as they say, is history. Love it, man. Yeah. And, and so the focus with the work that you do, I'd love to just hone in on that for a second so that the listeners uh, understand. Sure. So, I mean, I started out focused on open source healthcare technology, the family business that I returned to, and it kind of jerked around by a proprietary EHR vendor. And, and I just really didn't like the idea of being beholden to somebody from a source code perspective. And that led to a connection with O'Reilly Media because O'Reilly Media is kind of huge proponents of open source and led to the opportunity of me writing their healthcare IT book. And the other thing that O'Reilly Media and, and that community have been big on is the notion that data should be shared too. And it soon became clear that really what I should be focused on is transparency and openness and data. I still think that there are some things that you really need to have open source technology for I still hold that position. It's just not really relevant anymore. And the the permutation, I think, that won out on what I was going to do for my career and also what CareSet does, CareSet's the company that I'm a CTO for, is, is open healthcare data. Now, we were, I'd say, oh, four or five, four or five, six years, we've been focused on open healthcare data. And CareSet has, we were the first commercial vendor of Medicare claims data. And we continue to be kind of at the front of the queue for those kinds of things. And we've kind of, at one time we would do kind of anything that, that was open data in healthcare. And now we're very, very focused on Medicare claims. And I think we'll probably be focused on other government uh, sources of data as uh, for the foreseeable future that are as rich and as deep as Medicare claims. So that's that's where I am now. The way the business works is, you know, I work with journalists and I work with organizations like Academy Health and I work with organizations that essentially are operating mostly in the public good to bring transparency to the healthcare system. And then I work with 
other companies who have commercial interests in the, in the same data to fund that work. So it's a two-stroke business. We go to the government, we say, hey, you guys really need to open up this data set X. And you know, we stand as healthcare data journalists. And when we do that, we'll turn around and we'll give it to ProPublica or some other journalism organization that's a more traditional journal organization once we acquire the data. And then after that, we'll go try to sell it to typically members of the life sciences community. So either pharmaceutical companies or medical device companies or other people who would like to look at the same data, but from a marketing perspective or from a commercial perspective. And then using that those funds, we go back and we look at issue Y and we kind of keep expanding what what is available and what is open and what is what's available to people from a from the public's perspective. So we continue to kind of make progress on things that are in the public interest and for things that are in merely commercial interest, we use those to fund things. Love it. So great dive in to what you guys are up to there. And tell me a little bit more about what you believe needs to be front and center on the health leaders listening to this today. So it's really interesting. I think, you know, I really admire the work of Susanna Fox and Alexander Drain and a couple others who were, who, Charlie Ornstein, a ton of people who really have central themes in their work. And the central theme in my work is the data that is contributed by patients to the healthcare system should be used primarily in their interest. And it sounds so simple, but it's actually a pretty profound message, especially if you look how things are done today. I think I think in general, patient data operating to the benefit of patients is a secondary, tertiary, I'm not sure what fourth area is goal off the top of my head, but not the primary goal. And I'll be the first to admit that making money off patient data is something I think is a good thing. I think it's positive. I think it's going to be a commercial driver. That's my business model. But I think CareSet really tries to make sure that it is a secondary goal and that doing things that are ultimately beneficial from for patients is the primary goal. Love and that. That is the kind of the message that I come at. That, that's the reason why I spend time advocating for the patient community. I was one of uh, the people who was in a position to put my name on the FTC complaint against Facebook that the patient community made. And of course, there was a bunch of other people who did work that they were patients using Facebook and they were very concerned and didn't want to have their name on it. But I don't actually use Facebook that much and and um, I don't use it for any of the healthcare issues that I have. I don't happen to use it. I actually do use Twitter for trying to figure figure things out for my own healthcare, but mm-hmm. I don't use Facebook and that put me in a good position to put my name on it. But Facebook, in my view currently, and I hope this is, I think there's evidence that this might change in the next year or two, and I hope it does, but currently it does not respect patient uh, rights at all. And they're very much in the wrong on their on their stances. And so, and, and CareSet is really great. They allow me to spend, I think, it's very similar to the one-fifth time model from Google where I'm allowed to spend about 10, 15 hours a week doing things that are basically I'm doing them just because I think they're the right thing to do. And the CareSet backs me up and says, yeah, that's important enough that you can spend time on that from your day job. And Facebook is the work with work against Facebook has, I used to do all kinds of different things, data analysis, you know, pursuing this with Facebook has taken up m- most of my time. So that's, that's what I've been doing lately. And it's basically, CareSet makes money doing good things with data and respecting patient rights. And we use the money that we, we make doing good things with patient data to offset some of the bad things that other people do is what it's turned into. So very cool. Very cool. No, and it's great that you're able to do a little bit of that while you work there. And so Talk to us about an example of how you guys are making things better for patients with that data exchange. 
So I'd say, you know, the work that won me the 2016 Data Liberator Award is just like a band, like everybody likes the classic song and the new work is important too, but I still think that is probably going to be one of the most important things I did in my career was to release a map of the healthcare system that showed how doctors and hospitals and, you know, skilled nursing facilities and hospices and everybody else cooperate to provide care. That was really the first big data set that we released. We released couple of ones since then that are expansive. You can find all of our data sets available on careset.com. But that first original data set, which was called the DocGraph data set, because it was Graph of Doctors, we're not always original our naming, is continues to be one of the biggest impacts. And the reason it's a big impact is that all of the ACOs, or most of the ACOs, either through us or through other uh, service providers, and there were dozens of businesses that have been built around that data set, which was basically a simple, a simple data structure with millions and millions of rows that turned into a map of how the healthcare system works. Use that map to create and coordinate and figure out who should be in ACOs and who should not. And in turn, it does look like ACOs have been successful at bending the cost curve and have been successful in, in improving the quality of care for the people that they've got. And of course, there's ACOs that failed to do that, but they went out of business because that's the way the, the economics were uh, designed. Right. I do not delude myself to think that the work of an ACO was, was enabled, the actual work of providing the healthcare, that, that absolutely the ACOs themselves get credit for that. But I am I'm very proud of the fact that they, in some cases, used data that I released as a kind of chessboard in order to plan and determine who they're going to work, wanted to work with and who they, how they wanted to move patients around and whether or not they wanted to offer services in these zip codes or things like that. So that has probably been the biggest impactful data set. And of course, it's it, you know, going back to the band analogy, everybody wants to hear the classics, but the band wants to promote the new work, right? So we have yeah. released new data sets since then that I think are really important, but they just have not had the same kind of impact and people have not uh, celebrated them as much. Our policy is to release kind of one profound data set a year. And sometimes profound means popular and sometimes it just means profound. <laughs> yeah. We try to do one additional kind of expansive data set and we coordinate with journalists. And sometimes a journalist will call us and say, we have a question about these particular providers. Could you tell us about them? Or they'll call us and say, we have a question about in general, a trend that we think is interesting in the healthcare system will help with that. But that first release of the expansive map is is the really the big impact and what, what I'm famous for, and it's going to be real hard to compete with that. And so the open source nature of this is what contributes to the patient good? I'm curious. It certainly helps. I mean, you know, that going back to that data set, the, the idea behind an open source, well, obviously, there's, there's lots of things that are good about open source software. But the connection, I think, and the tie between open source software and open data is that it really dramatically reduces the space for competition. It forces you to compete in other areas, right? So we released a data set. We released it as an open data set. And for very trivial amounts of money, we put dozens of other companies in a position to compete with us using data that we had created. And this is very similar to the way that Red Hat releases software. And you can use Red Hat software to compete for services against Red Hat if you want to. And when that works and when there is a healthy ecosystem of, of services that, that result in that, what it means is that the marketplace says, well, we really shouldn't be paying for data. What we should be paying for is the insights that data can give us and the understanding about whether we should turn left or right that you get when you, when you have pervasive access to data. 
And that's still what we do, right? So right. when people approach us commercially, they're saying, well, we have this question about the way Medicare works or the way the marketplace works and, and Medicare is a good model of the whole marketplace. Sometimes, can you answer question A, B, and Z, A, B, or C? And they don't want data from us. They want answers, right? And so competing at the answer level rather than competing at the data level has a very significant benefit for patients because what the previous world is, and I think this is still kind of the proprietary data world, is if you want to get your questions answered, then it costs, in many cases, tens of or hundreds of millions of dollars worth of investment to get a picture of what's going on. And if you are a Fortune 500 pharmaceutical company, you can do that. And they got pictures and they knew what was going on. If you are a clinic in Wyoming, you had no idea what was going on because you couldn't afford that. So what ultimately the opportunity and the reason why the impact with patients is if you're competing, if data is ubiquitous and instead of competing for data, the data is inexpensive and available and everyone can make the optimal decision for them, then in theory, and this is the theory and we have seen it borne out, is the marketplace becomes more efficient. And that sounds like kind of ruthless Wall Street speak, but the market becoming more efficient from a patient perspective means uh, lower cost for healthcare. It means having a service provider where maybe you didn't before in rural areas and things like this. And it means potentially having better quality care because providers who to provide poor quality care skyline themselves in the data and ultimately they go out of business. So it doesn't sound like it. And I, I know I'm, I, I'm not actually aligned with either party and I know I'm sounding Republican right now. There is absolutely a market efficiency effect where this is a case where markets can do the right thing, and they do if they are informed with data. Going back to the politics of it, obviously, I am the joke I always tell is whichever political party you feel like is ruining America, I agree with you, no matter which party that is. <laughs> and I certainly don't kind of don't take sides in that. But for whatever reason, it does seem like there is a consensus around transparency and open data being a big deal because Trump has just signed an executive order that really opened a bunch of data. There is this data strategy stuff going on, huge movements under Trump's leadership inside HHS to be more transparent, specifically inside HHS and inside the the parts of the government that have clinical data, but also for all topics. And Obama also did a bunch of revolutionary things in order to move the ball forward. And so this is one of the few cases where Trump is pushing a policy that was approved by Obamacare standing on his shoulders, and they don't really disagree about that. It's very rare that that happens. I believe that because the only explanation I have is that I do think that as divisive as politics are, the people who are very liberal in this country and the people who are very conservative, they both in their hearts deep down believe that if everything was transparent, everyone would agree with everything they said. (laughs) They really believe that. Now, I can tell you as a person who's gotten into the data, that is not true for either team, right? The data says what the data says. And as a data scientist, which I think is an important part of being a data journalist, the reality is that sometimes things swing towards uh, conservative uh, solutions. Sometimes they swing towards liberal solutions. And sometimes they swing one way in one city and another way in another city. And one of the things that I heard very early on in my healthcare career, and I'm thankful that I heard it early, and because I think this is true, is that when you've seen one hospital, you have seen one hospital. And when you've yep. seen one clinic, you have seen one clinic. And there is a lot of variation. Some of it useful and some of it not in the healthcare system. No, so, some good some good insights there and uh, the concept about open data and, and how we use it 
paying for the data, paying for the insights. I think it's something that ends up happening behind the scenes. And I say that in quotes, you know, most people transact and don't really deal with this level of data. And so it's interesting to hear the inner workings of it. What would you say is, is a setback that you guys have had and what you've learned from it? That's a great question. So I think in some senses, we have my own organization has been kind of victims. Well, I guess there's two real answers because, again, I have two projects. One is doing good things with healthcare data, and one is preventing other people from doing bad things. The doing good things, honestly, were kind of a victim of our own success. I think we are absolutely riding a wave, and we have struggled to focus, to narrow our focus enough to do brilliantly with the data set that we focus on rather than trying to do everything. So again, four years ago, if you had interviewed me and said, oh, well, let's talk about what's going on in the food allergy space, I would have had all these things to say because, you know, we were thinking about getting into that. So we had to make some hard choices about focus. And so the need to focus, that I think has been something that we have had to learn again and again and again. It's interesting because, you know, my inclination is to change the world. And I want to change the world in as many ways possible. And I want to, I just want to have an impact and I want to really help people. But there's feeling like you're changing the world and there's actually changing the world. And in general, you feel like you're changing the world when you're doing something different every day and you're kind of helping the the food allergy people on Tuesday and you're helping the uh, pediatric people on Wednesday and then you move on. But actually changing the world requires focus and doing the same thing every day and it gets a little boring. But it also results in, in change that is market and you can see the difference after two or three years of focus. And so I think we are now at Caraset harvesting the difficult decisions of having to focus three or four years ago that we've made. And that's mostly due to uh, credit for that goes to uh, Boris Chaplin, our, our CEO that we brought in. We brought her in specifically because we knew we needed somebody to narrow our focus. And her job was and is to tell me and our co-founders no. She does all the time. And it's I hope that it was wise that I knew I slash we knew we needed that, but we certainly did. And she's done an amazing job at that. A lot of the increased focus. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, really, it's, uh, it's critical, right? And, and, and the challenge is like, there's that boredom thing that settles in. And, but keeping the, the reason why you're doing it alive through that focus, I think helps drive that focus even more. Absolutely. So that's on the Carousel side. That it's much easier to describe what the setback is on the Facebook side. You know, we submitted a uh, FTC complaint to the FTC about Facebook's treatment of patients. And we argued in there that the Facebook was acting as a personal health record, was covered under personal health record rules, but then had a breach under the personal health record rules and had not done the right things as a result of that. And uh, we articulated that. We made like 20 or 30 points of evidence and uh, five to 10 different specific suggestions on how things could be improved at Facebook. And we we originally went to Facebook with this. Uh, They ignored us and told us that we were wrong, which is kind of typical big tech arrogance. And then we went to the FTC with exactly the same thing and said, this is a real problem and you need to do something about it. And from our perspective, the issues with patient groups and groups generally were as big a deal as the Cambridge Analytica scandals. And I think any kind of back of the envelope math will show that it is either a much bigger deal or it's at least the same size or in terms of the amount of data that leaked and the impact on the world. However, this most recent FTC compromise does not mention any specific details about how Facebook is going to be required to do right things via patients, doesn't address any of our issues. They do have specific constraints for Facebook about facial recognition, AI, and even the way they handle passwords, but they didn't say anything about the patient groups, which is extremely disappointing. But the amnesty that they got, which is to say this very, very broad holding not liable for anything that the FTC knew about, 
course, they knew about our, our complaint because we gave it to them in advance of this, but both the executives and the company itself are absolved with this $5 million fine of anything that they did wrong, including treating the patient group wrong. To be perfectly honest, we're still reeling from that decision. It's a huge setback when a government agency that is responsible and has power to protect patients completely fails to do so. And we are still wondering how to respond. I think we've written one article in STAT talking about that and talking about the problem, but I think we will be saying a lot more as we figure out what to do. Again, it's just, it, it's really problematic when a government agency has unique power to protect patients and then ignores its responsibility at Facebook scale mm-hmm. uh, because there's just so much that impacts patients that Facebook does. And if they have small problems, well, it means, you know, a billion people have small problems uh, with the way their interaction with, uh, with healthcare stuff works on Facebook. So it's a real issue. Yeah, no, and, and uh, sorry to hear about the, the setback there, but it sounds like you guys are huddling back up to figure out next steps. That's absolutely right. And of course, we have had the patient community and, and the larger community in healthcare has really reacted beautifully to what we have said. It's only the, the Facebook and the FTC that are Again, since we did get uh, some funding from Robert Johnson Foundation to, to kind of uh, start discussing how to address these issues and start discussing how to empower patient communities when the platforms that facilitate the creation of the communities are kind of going in a different way and ignoring the needs of the community, which is exactly what's happening with Facebook. So we are certainly disheartened by what the FTC has done, but everybody else has been amazing and everybody else has been extraordinarily helpful and we have really, really gotten a lot done. And so I think we are still winning. And when I say that, Facebook has changed its policies in I believe three major ways since we've started negotiating with them. And I can tell you right now, if anybody else is, any of your listeners are thinking about fighting Facebook, it's almost worthless to talk to Facebook, right? Because Facebook, Facebook gets so many people talking to them that they just have a default script that says, you're not important, we know best, uh, you're the children playing in our sand, uh, sand castle. Please stop hitting each other is basically their reaction to everything. And however, going to the press, very effective. Going to Congress, very effective. We got, given now that the FTC has failed to react, we've gotten a lot more play from what Congress's reaction was to our FTC complaint after we made it public and we did make it public than the FTC has ever done. So it has been absolutely worthwhile to work with the press, work with Congress, work with the FTC, and Facebook has changed its policies. And they, being a patient on Facebook now is substantially safer than it was even a year ago. Although I I have to say, it's still not safe. I can't recommend Facebook as a platform for patients. If you're already there and you're getting important things, I wouldn't necessarily tell you to stop. But if you were a a patient community thinking about trying to find a watering hole at this point, I would say stay away from Facebook because it's just not safe. Well, interesting perspective uh, for sure, Fred. And hey, um, kudos to you and your teams for all the efforts on that front and uh, wishing you guys best success in in making that safer. What parting words of, of wisdom would you leave our, our listeners with? Well, you know, I let me say the things that I wish someone would just kind of whisper in my ear every day. The key word in data scientist is scientist. And if you're going to be a data journalist or a data scientist or anyone who has data science as a, as a background, you just have to remember that you have to formalize your own humility as you approach data because what science means is a formula for very effective doubt, formula for exercising and exploring doubt and for relieving doubts and for asking questions in a way that is intended to root out your worst assumptions. And so 
that is a fundamentally either it's either a humbling or humiliating process. And I think by practicing humility and practicing and kind of really trying to ask the question, what am I not thinking of here? You can really make data work for patients. You can also make data work for your business in healthcare. You can really, really supercharge what you're trying to do. And there's a lot of money to be made and there's a lot of good to be done, but you really do have to have some humility. And when I look at Facebook and I look at what they have accomplished, because they've really connected a bunch of people and done some amazing things. And I also look at the times when I have made a positive difference you know, with CareSet. To the degree that you, that I have been humble in the past, I have safely made a difference. And to the degree that I was not humble, I've made pretty significant mistakes. And I see that a lack of humility is at the core of Facebook's ongoing mistakes. So I would just encourage, like, there's a lot of power here. But use that power wisely and be careful and, and, and be humble. Love it. Great piece of advice there, Fred. And again, just want to give you a big thanks for joining us, sharing your thoughts and uh, philosophies and experiences with data. And uh, yeah, man, really appreciative of your time. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoy your show. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.